Thank you, Aaron. Good morning. My name is Randy Trigger. I'm a pastor elder and on the teaching team here at Lakeside. Uh, this morning, um, we're jumping back into Matthew uh, after we took a three-week break where we looked at uh, Palm Sunday, Easter Sunday, and Ascension Sunday. The title of this new series is The Power of the King. It covers chapters 8 and 9. It'll be seven weeks long, so it'll take us right up to summer. Uh, today, I'll be looking at verses 1 through 17 of chapter 8, so you can go there now if you'd like. The title of today's message is The King's Power to Heal. It's good to remember that Matthew's focus is on Jesus being the king of the kingdom of heaven. So let's start by reminding ourselves of our, of our definition of the kingdom of heaven that we're using. The kingdom of heaven is God's rule over the world and our participation in it with our whole hearts. Matthew has shown that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises for a king and a savior uh, as recorded by the prophets of the Old Testament. This started with his birth, it ran through his baptism, his family's travels, uh, his victory over temptation and sin, his power, the gathering of his disciples, and his teaching. And then we saw his first major teaching in chapters 5 through 7 on the Sermon on the Mount. The very last verses of chapter 7 uh, conclude with the people being amazed at his teaching, for he taught, he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. It was powerful because he taught as the, with the authority of the king. And his teaching was focused on his followers and how different the kingdom is, of heaven is from the world. And that our focus must be on the kingdom of heaven because the world is corrupt and dying and it will always fail us. With the teaching completed, Jesus comes down from the mountain and we'll start with the first four verses of chapter eight. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Have you ever been to a conference where you listened uh, to a renowned speaker? Everybody's polite and they listen carefully while the speaker's speaking. But as soon as they finish, there's usually like a small stampede of people rushing down trying to get their attention. They all have different reasons. Some people, they have a question to ask. Others have a comment. And quite frankly, some just want bragging rights. You can imagine that this is greatly increased as Jesus comes down from the mountain. There's people that are swarming to him and they all want something different. Many of the people are, are drawn by his message. They sense something far greater than they can grasp. Others want him to perform something miraculous, like perhaps release them from a demonic possession, or like this leper to heal them from a physical disability. He comes to Jesus, the leper, and calls him Lord. The use of the word Lord here is from the Greek and has a meaning of master, someone to whom respect and honor are to be given. The leper is exhibiting some level of faith in Jesus. 
It's not what we would consider a great level of faith, a faith that Jesus is more than simply a great man, a faith that believes that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. He is the son of the living God. He believes that Jesus is able to make him clean, to heal him. He knows this because he's either seen it or he's heard others speak of their healings. And although he might not understand exactly who Jesus is completely, he does understand that Jesus is his one and perhaps his only hope of being healed. We'll be looking at three unique healings today and then a mass healing also, and we'll see varying degrees of faith. And in one case, no mention of faith whatsoever. But Jesus heals in all of these. Yes, there's an element of faith on the part of the people, but it's not the only thing. In fact, it's not even the most important thing. Jesus' goal, his purpose, is to help people come to know his Father. In order to do this, he needs to raise their understanding of who he is from a great man to the Son of God, King of the Kingdom of Heaven. As we look at these healings, we should try to apply, and we try to apply it to our lives, we should remember our big idea for today. Our faith should be anchored in the sure knowledge that Jesus has power and authority over all of our physical being. This perspective comes into focus as we, use the, as we look at the use of the word will by both Jesus and the leper. They both use exactly the same word, but they both mean something slightly different. The leper is most likely saying, Jesus, if you wanted, you can make me clean. You could heal me. And to a certain extent, that is true. And a lot of times, I think we want to believe when we pray that it is his will, that, that, that he wants to heal us. We tend to think in terms that we understand, worldly terms. You know, what makes me feel good right now, right here? But Jesus is focused on the kingdom of heaven, and his um, use of the word is more accurately saying, I, Jesus, can heal you since it is in accordance with my Father's purpose in, bringing, uh, in furthering his kingdom on earth. So when Jesus answers, I will be clean, he is telling the leper that the healing is part of the Father's will, part of his purpose. But here we are. We're in 2023, a couple thousand years later, and I know that there are a lot of people here this morning who are praying for a healing desperately. Or maybe you've already gotten your answer and it wasn't what you had hoped. And that's really hard to grasp. In our teaching team, Lydia shared the lyrics of a song with me. Um, it was titled Home Free by Wayne Watson. I won't use all of it, but there's a part of it that I think helps us to see how very difficult it is to ask for God's will and not our own. You know pain has little mercy. Suffering's no respecter of age, of race, or position. I know every prayer gets answered, but the hardest one to pray is slow to come. Oh Lord, not mine, but your will be done. It's difficult, it's painful, and it's hard to grasp, but all through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has taught us the difference between the kingdom of heaven and earth is clear. The earth is full of sin and it's dying, while heaven is all about life and living 
and love. Jesus will always answer our prayers in, our, for, in a way that's best for us because it's based on perfect love. Jesus loves us despite our weaknesses and failures. And as hard as it is to grasp, his will sometimes allows for pain and suffering. We really need to look no further than Good Friday. Jesus prayed so hard the night before the crucifixion that he literally sweated blood. He had to wrestle against his flesh to try and accept his Father's will, which was for one to die for all of us. And Jesus followed his will and submitted to it. It was for me. It was for you. It was for everyone, all mankind, to pay our debt of sinfulness and allow us to be free from it. And as we work our way through Matthew, we'll see Jesus has authority and power over all our physical being. In fact, we'll find that he has it over all creation. Again, it's so difficult to know that Jesus has the power, but he may not exercise it as we would like. There's an excellent quote from Michael Green which captures this struggle. But many people are not healed. It is a mystery which we shall never plumb. We can never be dogmatic about when God will or when God will heal and when he will not. But what happened regularly and without failure right in his life, in the life of Jesus, does happen occasionally and with many failures when his disciples pray in faith and call on God to heal. He's correct. The difference between Jesus and you and me is he is always keeping um, God's, God's will in focus. Jesus knew his Father completely and always did exactly as he was commanded. And so you and I end up trying to grasp something which, quite frankly, is impossible, the will of God. It's impossible because there's no way for us to fully understand a God, a perfect God, or his thoughts. His authority and power is complete over all of heaven and earth, but his focus is on our relationship with God and eternity. So our faith mustn't be Jesus will heal, but rather Jesus has the power to heal. As our big idea says, our faith should be anchored in the sure knowledge that Jesus has power and authority over all our physical being. This will help us when we can't see or understand what's going on. Lost my spot. Our faith, okay. What do I mean when I, what, um, okay. this should not cause us to ask the question. What do I mean when I say I want God's will? What do we mean? It's hard. Jesus exercised his power and authority and the leper was immediately cleansed. Jesus gave him two commands. First, don't tell anyone. Why? We simply don't know the answer to that. There's a lot of speculation, but quite frankly, there's a lot of questions that Scripture doesn't answer, and this is one of them. Secondly, to show himself to the priest and offer the gift required by Moses. 
This was so that he would satisfy the law and be welcomed back into the community. He could approach people. He'd go to synagogue. He could walk around without crying, unclean, unclean. And this is both exciting and wonderful, but it's also temporary. Mike mentioned during his Palm Sunday message that the raising of Lazarus excited the crowds, and it raised their uh, expectations and their view of who Jesus was. But it, too, was temporary, as they were already planning on, on killing Lazarus again to try and quell the enthusiasm. As I mentioned before, the things of this world are dying. So when we see something miraculous, like a healing, we should be excited, and we should see it as wonderful. But the reason is because we got a glimpse of God's power. We can know that God is using it to further his kingdom here on earth. But we often miss a side which is every bit as much about God furthering his kingdom here on earth. The times when God's will is to allow us to continue on a difficult path without his intervention. When we don't get the healing that we're praying for. But these times uh, cause us to go running back to our Father for strength. When things are going our way, we tend to try to go it alone. It's just part of our pride. I've got it, God. You can go help somebody who really needs it, right? We don't actually think those thoughts or say them, but our actions speak to them. It's the difficult things in life which cause us to lean into God and truly, truly trust in his strength. I've heard so many times from people who have come to faith or had their faith increased by supposedly unanswered prayer. But the truth is the prayer was answered, just not as we desired. And healing has occurred because true healing is healing that happens in the kingdom of heaven. It's when our participation in it grows and our heart draws nearer to our Father who loves us more than we can imagine. We'll need uh, to move on, so we'll, we'll look at verses 5 through 13. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority and with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And, the, and to the centurion Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. This encounter with the centurion is interesting for several reasons. The first is because the centurion is not a Jew, but a Roman citizen. You know, the guys that all the Jews hated because they're so ruthless, but this guy, he's different. It would be similar to an atheistic major in the U.S. Army, 
addressing a street preacher as master. You're probably not going to see that. Secondly, he doesn't try to exercise his well-established authority over Jesus. I'm not sure what would have happened if he had ordered Jesus to follow him and heal his servant. The fact is that he doesn't because he sees something different in Jesus. And third, he doesn't actually make a request. Look carefully at verse 6. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. It isn't a request. It's a statement of fact. And it makes perfect sense coming from a military man. In the military, it's the responsibility of those in higher authority to provide and care for those in their charge. Likewise, it's the responsibility of a military person to pass relevant information up the chain of command to someone with the power to handle it and to accept their decision without question. This military attitude is captured perfectly in this snippet of Lord Alfred Tennyson's poem, Charge of the Light Brigade. Light Brigade. Perhaps you've heard it. Theirs not to make reply. Theirs not to reason why. Theirs but to do and die. So the centurion is simply letting Jesus know of a dire situation. Now there's an assumption on his part that Jesus, being the one with the power and authority, will take an action. Jesus understands and responds um, that with his decision that he'll come with him and heal his servant. And once again, we see a rather interesting situation. Jesus is agreeing to travel with a Roman soldier to his house to heal a servant. Both of those things would make him ceremonially unclean. But Jesus had already gone against those laws when he reached out and he touched the leper. Jesus showed that the ways of the kingdom of heaven supersede the laws of the earth, the world. The Jews valued ceremony, the rules, and the law over compassion, mercy, and love. The purpose of the law requiring the lepers to be separated was to prevent the disease from spreading. It wasn't so the holy religious people could say, oh, look how holy I am and you're not. In a similar way, the, the law about keeping away from the, the, heath, the, the Gentiles was to prevent idolatry from spreading. Jesus understood the purpose of the law and allowed love, mercy, and compassion to supersede it. Think of the law of gravity. It has a very good purpose. Understanding it can help us leap off a cliff and hoping to fly. But there's a law called aerodynamics that supersedes it. And using it appropriately it also has a purpose, like hang gliding off that same cliff in flying, right? You see the centurion's humility as he recognizes his unworthiness to even have Jesus come into his house under his roof. Please remember the position and power of this man and his relationship and his, his being over just a simple Jewish carpenter. He may or may not understand Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God, but he clearly understands that Jesus is not an ordinary man. And then his statement of faith, which draws a startling commentary from Jesus. He states with complete conviction that Jesus simply has to speak the word and it will occur. He grasps something that, that others 
that others have missed, he knows that Jesus is more than they think. He recognizes that the healing command, that the healing is coming at the command of Jesus. And then he explains how he knows this. It's because he understands how power and authority work for those who truly have it. This shows a tremendous amount of faith. I'm pretty sure that like the leper and the centurion, we've all asked for prayers of some sort at some time. And as we call out to Jesus, we exhibit some level of faith. But this causes me to ask the question, faith in what? Starting back in 2007, God led me and my loved ones through a series of events which shook me and caused me to come to exactly this question in August of 2009, faith in what? Two and a half years. It began with the death of my Uncle Lou in his mid-60s. And then we also lost my wife's mom and, and her Aunt Teresa, and then my Aunt Maxine and my dad in, in uh, February of 2009. During this time, we also experienced several very serious health issues in our family. After dad's death, I went to see a counselor because I was struggling so hard to try to make sense of what was happening in my life. Everything that I thought was solid wasn't. It began, I'm sorry, uh, then, in the, then in the summer of 2009, my mom discovered uh, a lump in her breast and she scheduled a biopsy. At the same time, we had someone that we loved very dearly having a biopsy. So we we're praying hard for both of these two people. Our prayer wasn't exactly for healing. It was that the tests would be negative, that they would not have cancer. We firmly believed that God was able if it was his will. I remember getting the first result. It was Friday evening. Um, I was working a bit late that day trying to make up for some lost time. And it was just after 6 when my phone rang. It was my mom. And she had great news. When she went in for the biopsy, the lump wasn't there. It was completely gone. I was praising God and thanking him for his healing touch and for answering our prayers. About 10 minutes later, my phone rang again. This time it was my wife, Therese. Our loved one's biopsy came back positive. She, they had cancer. And I went from very high to crushing low. I packed up my stuff and I headed out. And as I started my car, I heard Charles Stanley teaching. And he was in the middle of a message and he was asking this question, faith in what? I don't remember the exact words, but basically he was saying, we must not have our faith based on what God does for us, but rather on who God is. And at that moment, I felt as if God were speaking that message directly to my heart. We were praying hard for both of these people. From our perspective, it simply doesn't make any sense. But if we step back and we adjust our perspective to that of the kingdom of heaven, then perhaps it gets just a little bit easier. I like what Max Lucado has to say about faith. Faith is, not, faith is not the belief that God will do what you want. It is the belief that God will do what is right. Our statements of faith are like indicators of our heart toward God. Do we believe God will always do what's right for me? 
even if it doesn't make sense. Or when I have to bear a cross, I don't want. It's most likely that the centurion didn't receive formal training in Judaism, yet he had a faith greater than anyone that Jesus had seen who had been trained in Judaism. It's because faith isn't based on religious knowledge or righteousness or good works or good deeds. Faith is based on believing that God will act in love toward us always, and he will always do what is right. It's because Jesus recognized the centurion's faith and was marveled by it, and he called it out to the attention of those around him, and this must have been a jolt to them. Most of these people were Jewish. They had the law and the prophet, and they, prophets, and they could trace their lineage and heritage all the way back to the greats of the faith, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The centurion, he had none of this. He saw Jesus using his power, and he accepted it, even if it didn't make logical sense to him. He simply was willing to take Jesus at his word. So we need to ask ourselves this question. What is my faith anchored in? Is it solely in Jesus' power and authority? Be careful. We all tend to rely on other anchors, like how good I am, or my religious tradition, or my faith community. Perhaps it's how faithful I am, or how rich, or how humble. These are all based on things which are less than Jesus, and they only take away from our relationship with him. Quite frankly, this is one of the areas that we trip up on a lot. We try and reason and make sense of how something should be when it's not making sense. But when we remember the things that God has shown us that didn't make sense before and how it helped us through, it helps us to trust in his power and his plan. Then Jesus corrects their misunderstanding of, how, of those who will enter the kingdom of heaven. There will be many others from the east and the west who will enter, while those who rely on their religious um, lineage, they won't. Jesus warns these people that they'll be thrown into outer darkness where, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. We won't get into what happens to the Jews in the future. Suffice it to say that this encounter shows that Jesus came for all people, not just the Jews. He answers the prayer of his children regardless of their nationality, their religious affiliation, their race, their color, or their gender. After the commentary, Jesus turns to the centurion and says in verse 13, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And we're told that the servant was healed immediately at that moment, as soon as Jesus commanded it. Now we run into something which causes a lot of questions and a ton of bad theology. Jesus tied the healing to the centurion's faith. And this isn't the only place in Matthew or in the Gospels where this occurs. But look carefully, and Jesus doesn't mention the faith of the leper, although clearly he had some level of faith. And there's more as we read about the healing of Peter's mother-in-law in verses 14 through 16. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were opposed, oppressed by 
demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Matthew doesn't even mention a request concerning Peter's mother-in-law, much less of her faith. And while it's certainly true that there were widely varying degrees of faith among those who were healed that evening, there's, there's something more to it than just their faith. Quite frankly, Jesus' power and authority is not limited by our level of faith. After dinner, they began to bring many to Jesus. Uh, Some were possessed by spirits, and he cast them out with a word. Others uh, were sick, and he healed them all. Jesus is showing that he has the authority and the power over all of our physical being. There are other parts of Matthew that deal with the demonic in more detail, so we won't get into that. It's just enough to understand that Jesus is exhibiting his, his power over all of us. Over, and that he is the king of the kingdom of heaven. I have to say, I don't envy the workload of Jesus. You can see here. And as you look at scriptures, you can see how very difficult it was for him to even get a rest, which might cause me to ask this question, why didn't Jesus simply heal everyone all at once? And I think the answer is because he deals with each of his children individually. He cherishes his relationship with each of us, with me and with you, for everyone that's given their life to him. The most important fact that we get out of this is that Jesus healed all who came to him. Remember earlier in the message I mentioned Jesus' success rate was 100%. Well, it was complete. And the reason is that we can see for that is in verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. He's proving who he is. This quote is from uh, Isaiah chapter 53. It's a description of the suffering servant. The promised king would be both a suffering servant and a conquering king. This is the purpose of each healing. The purpose is to show that Jesus is exactly who he is. He's king of the Jews. He's the one that they've been awaiting. These miraculous healings, um, they're amazing. But the purpose of them is to point us to the one in whom we should have our faith. And as I read these, it confirms to me that Jesus is exactly who he said he was. He is both the son of man and the son of God. But the healings were only the start of the fulfillment of this particular prophecy. There were more throughout the, throughout the Gospels we read about them. And it found its completion, completion on a day that we just remembered, Good Friday. Jesus to- chose a path that would take him to the cross, the place where all of our infirmities, our sins, our failures, our hurts, our rebellions, they were placed on him. So we read in Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. As much as we celebrate Easter, Jesus tells us that it was for Good Friday that he came. I read this in Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest devotional on April 6th. The heart of salvation is the cross of Christ. 
The reason salvation is so easy to obtain is that it cost God so much. The cross was the place where God and sinful man merged with a tremendous collision and where the way to life was opened. But all the cost and pain of the collision was absorbed by the heart of God. So Jesus offers all of us He offers all of us a healing, an ultimate healing, which is permanent and not temporary. It is eternal life with Jesus in heaven, and all you need to do to receive that is simply ask him. And we know that Jesus' response will be yes, because it's written in Ephesians 2.8, it's promised. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. And there's that phrase, through faith. But the good news, it only takes a tiny little bit of faith to go to Jesus and ask him, just enough to go to him. So here's a final application question in two parts. Have I accepted the ultimate healing offered by Jesus? And if so, how can I look to Jesus when things don't go as I would like, when physical healing doesn't come? If you haven't already asked Jesus to heal you eternally, you can do that today. You can do it right now. Jesus has removed all of our obstacles except our pride in coming to him. He promises you that he will come and live in and with you by the Holy Spirit. You, need to, you simply need to humble yourself and ask to, to acknowledge that he is Lord and Savior. In a moment, we'll take time to pray and I'll give you an opportunity to do just that. We've covered a lot this morning, and hopefully we have a better handle on our big idea. Our faith should be anchored in the sure knowledge that Jesus has power and authority over all our physical being. Things aren't always going to go our way or to make sense. And there will be times of suffering, but we can have hope when our eyes are properly on Jesus and on the kingdom of heaven. So maybe take some time today and this week to remember these questions and consider them. What do I mean when I say I want God's will? To accept God's will is difficult. And there will be times when, like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, we'll have to really struggle to accept it over our own will. But we'll grow stronger as we do wrestle that. And then what is my faith anchored in? You know, it'll be easier to accept God's will when we have our faith anchored in the authority and power of Jesus. He loves you and will always do for, for us what is best and right, even if it doesn't make sense. And finally, have I accepted the ultimate healing offered by Jesus? If so, how can I look to Jesus when things don't go as I would like? when physical healing doesn't come. When you accept Christ Jesus, he sends the Holy Spirit to indwell you. And the same power to do God's will is available to you to help you to obey in all he asks of you. You can walk with him on your highest high 
and in your most, most crushing lull. He is with you always. Next week, Nate will continue the series with a message titled, A King Worth Following. I'm looking forward to it. And now, I'd like to offer a chance to anyone except Christ's offer of eternal life. We'll bow our heads and pray. I'll lead that, and then I'm going to also continue on and close. So can we bow our heads? Jesus, I come to you acknowledging that I am weak in need of help. I see you, Jesus, in your power, in your authority. And I want that in my life. I want you to be my savior. Jesus, I accept this gift. And the little bit of faith that I have, I give to you and ask that you help it to grow. And I thank you for hearing my prayer as you promise. And Father, we thank you for the way that you work in our lives. Father, we thank you for the times that we can celebrate answered prayer that we see that, that is here on this earth. Father, we also thank you and praise you for the times that it's in the kingdom of heaven. Maybe we don't see it, but our faith grows. Father, I pray for those people here today that are struggling right now. Father, it's hard when you're in the midst of this to hang on, and, and I just I ask, Lord, that you would be strength, that you would be hope, that you would be a very real presence for these people and, and help them through a very difficult time. We trust you, Jesus. Help us. We pray this in your name. Amen. <laughs>